All right, 100% Dad interviews with Dad, episode number nine with Jacob Tilton. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, man? Loving life. So this took me, what, an hour to set up? So we're in we're in Florence Marina, Georgia, which is right on the river um, with Alabama. And so not only does, like, there's a time zone change. So not only do we not know what time it is, where we are, because, like, we just drove up to Columbus, Georgia, which is, like, 45 minutes north to find good T-Mobile signal so we could do this. Um, and, like, you have to weave in and out of Georgia and Alabama, which is then switching all the clocks. And we just we had no idea what time zone we were in, which was uh, less than fun. So we finally get up Columbus, Georgia. Uh, my T-Mobile data was maxed out, so I couldn't. You have to host these things on a laptop. So uh, my my hotspot on my phone couldn't power my laptop for Internet. So then we finally found a coffee shop that would uh, we just bought like 40 bucks worth of stuff from breakfast sandwiches and everything. And I just sent the kids and Ryan away and an hour just to find Internet. That's driving me crazy. <laughs> but we didn't even have phone call. Like I couldn't even text you or uh, uh, call you and let you know that we were having issues. It was bizarre. Yeah. So T-Mobile team, is not friendly in these areas, but people with Verizon had plenty of signal. But So that was less than fun. But we're here now. Columbus, have you ever been to Columbus, Georgia? I'm not. I haven't spent here. much time on the, the western side of Georgia. Most of my time is either in the middle or on the east coast. Well, you can see it now. So I'm also at a coffee shop. We'll plug them. Iron Bank, if, you ever, if you're ever up here. You don't drink coffee. I know that. Not a coffee guy. <laughs> uh, we're right below a speaker, so you're going to hear music the whole time, maybe a few commercials, but I think we'll be all right. <laughs> so, let's introduce you. Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you, who you are, all that uh, kind so, of fun stuff. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jacob Tilton. Uh, I've been married uh, for about 18 years. i got three kids. i got a boy 15, a boy 12. A little girl who's five. Uh, I grew up in rural Florida, uh, just outside of a Palatka, a little town called San Mateo. How many acres is that? Uh, about 2,600. Okay. What we farm. Mostly uh, timber, uh, cattle, and a few row crops. What is a row crop? A row crop. Is any, yeah, anything that you grow, grow in a row. Uh, uh, okra, onion. Uh, we uh, grew artichokes for the first time. Okay. That's something we've so, done how come you guys never got into potatoes? Because I know that area of the, the county or the country is heavy in potatoes. Correct. And that was one of the reasons why is because there's, you know, there's a, already a, a large market around here um, of producers. Plus, it, it was not something that we were technically set up for. I mean, making honey, honey producing honey. honey and pollination. Okay, got it. I remember that because you guys used to travel around all around the country toting your, your 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 bees with you. Yeah. Yep. Are they still doing that? Um, yeah. So we're not necessarily. We quit going to Wisconsin. Uh, we went there for 23 years straight. Wisconsin to pollinate cranberries, but they. Um, my, my brothers and my dad still have a few bees. Now, at our biggest, we were running about 4,800 hives of bees, which is a lot. Um, but they don't run nearly that anymore. Okay, so now why would you go all the way to Wisconsin? I, I would think Wisconsin have, would have their own bees. Yeah, but the, the thing is, um, a lot of the guys in 
up north in Wisconsin strictly produce honey. They don't do much pollination. And so the cranberry growers, it's like almonds in California. I thought, I thought you needed those. I thought in order to get honey, you needed pollination. Well, yeah, but um, here in Florida, our seasons are very restricted. What I mean by that is the orange blossoms will bloom for, you know, a, a month and then that's it. Dead, gone. And you've got to move your bees somewhere else uh, unless you have just this perfect gem of a location that's always got something blooming. We're constantly having to move our bees around to find okay. uh, food sources. If not, we got to supplement that, which costs us money. And so one of the things we would do is, is go north to Wisconsin, um, pollinate cranberries, and then just stay there for another month and a half making what we call wildflower. I mean, you have alfalfa, thistle, clover, just a bunch of things that bloom wild. And because, you know, Wisconsin's predominantly cold, um, come May and June when things start blooming, pretty much there's something blooming everywhere until the snow sets in around Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, so would you guys like to drop drop your hives and then go back to it? Yeah. So basically, you drop them off in the uh, in the groves, and then come back home. And when they're done, when the uh, uh, pollination period's over, they'll call you and say, "Hey, we're going to spray for bugs now. Uh, we need you to come get your bees because if you don't, they'll kill your bees." And then move them to uh, nearby locations in, in southern Wisconsin. Just on farms, just local, you know, farmers that just have a little area that they allow us to put them. And do they pay you for that, or is that something uh, you just get the honey result? Yeah. So one of the things we do is we oftentimes would pay rent through honey. A lot of people are like, "Hey, I really like honey. How can I get some?" It's like, "Hey, do you have any locations that we could potentially put some bees on?" And most farmers are like, "Heck yeah, I do." You know. And in return, we would give them about a gallon of honey each year. And it was, you know, it, it was beneficial, uh, you know. I'm sure. That's a long drive. It better be beneficial. Yeah. Uh, we quit doing it because we found it was harder and harder to make honey. It was just for the pollination, which is, which is nice. But pollination also puts a um, stress on the bees. The mood will stress them. Um, Oftentimes, there's residual pesticides on the uh, the plants themselves. So when the bee comes back to the hive, they're bringing some of that with it. In the 90s, um, there was a government program where the government would pay you not to grow anything. You just had to leave your field alone. And by doing that, you had wildflowers everywhere. But at, when ethanol became a thing, people started plowing that ground up and planting corn because they could make a ton of money off of ethanol. So less and less wildflowers, which means less and less honey. And I've, uh, I think you and I briefly talked to this before that honeybees are actually starting to go extinct. Yeah, so they're struggling um, in today's uh, environment through uh, diseases that are brought on by, you know, varroa mites. Um, you have hive beetle, which was introduced um, about seven, eight years ago. And with the, 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 you know, and like you said, we've talked about this, but with the, um, with the varroa mite, it, it brings with it multiple diseases that constantly bees are having to fight off. And so it's gotten a lot more to do it. I mean, used to, you could go into your um, uh, beehive, 
make sure everything's okay, treat it with whatever, things, whatever you need to treat it, feed it, and then walk away and not have to tend it again for, you know, months. Now, you could go into a hive, it could be perfectly healthy, flat full of bees, come back a week later, and it's down to just a small cluster, and then a few days later, dead. Hmm. And that's the problem. What's causing Well, and they still are not 100% sure. And a lot of people believe it, it's a mixture of a lot of things. The disease from the varroa mite, um, the small hive beetle, uh, maybe it's even bad genetics. I mean, we're, we're kind of barred from bringing any other bees in from other countries. Now, we can bring honey, but we can't bring actual bees. And so, I don't know, man. I mean, I know um, most of the very rare to find a wild hive in the woods. Most of what people find are swarms from commercial guys like us. They're okay. Swarmed out of the hive into a tree or into a house. That's not some wild hive that's been there for 50 years. Uh, disease has killed almost all of those lives. So there's no real natural honeybees anymore. They've, they've genetically been what, engineered? For the most part, not engineered. It's just, you know, just as in any any industry, any uh, like cattle industry or anything, you're going to pick the best. Sure. Um, you're going to breed what works. Correct. So, like, for a time, we were growing our own queens, which is quite difficult and intense and in order to breed queens you got to find whichever ones you want to breed from right so what we do is we go through uh an entire year honey cycle and we would mark those that produce the most and if they were consistent through all of the honey whether it was a uh, uh, orange blossom local wildflower uh, the cranberry and, and wildflower up north um if one one or two remain consistent, those were the ones that we would breed from because we want to that type of uh, you know that type of bee. That makes sense. Yep. So I so like if I ever bike around town, um, or, you know St. Augustine, I would always see like not every house, but there were a bunch of houses where you'd see like a small box that you can tell it's a honeybee hive because you'd see some bees flying around it. So is that a good thing? <laughs> or yeah. is that very but that's doing that. The only problem the only problem we have now here in Florida is a couple years ago we had Africanized bees finally introduced here. For the most part, Africanized bees have been um when you say introduced, what do you mean? What's that? When you say introduced, what do you mean? So what what happened was is Africanized bees have been in South Central America. They come up through Texas and sort of went west towards Arizona, New Mexico. What happened was is um I know after talking with several people from um, IFAS, from the, the, the state who work with bees, we had basically uh, big transport ships coming to and from uh, Central and South America, bringing in produce. Well, bees had, an Africanized hive had swarmed off the, off of the mainland on the ship and then landed here in uh, around Tampa and then swarmed off. They had actual like traps set for them to catch them, and, and uh, I'm surprised and, that didn't happen sooner. I mean, we have and, so many ships coming in from. And like, I agree with you. I'm like, I, I'm like, it took that long. He goes, yeah, because they had set these traps to sort of catch them, and uh, 
and they've managed to, to curtail it, but now they're here and it's something we've got to deal with. Like Texas has had them for over 20 years. And what they did is if they found an Africanized hive, they would isolate it and try to breed it with a more docile bee. Oh, okay. So you take, again, just like with queens, you, you, you kill the Africanized queen and put a more docile one in there or try to get them to breed with more docile. So you basically intermix them to try to calm that anger down, I guess you could say. And that, there's, there's not a real difference visibly to the human eye between an Africanized bee and a normal one. It's their behavior, right? Correct. If you put them under a microscope, an Africanized bee is slightly smaller. But for the most part, me and you driving around can't tell. A lot of people are like, oh, they're Africanized. I got stung once. I'm like, no. If you get near an Africanized hive, you're going to get stung hundreds or thousands of times. I mean, get in a truck or get in a house. That's the only way. They made a movie, I think, about that in the 90s. About some bees that were just... Yes, the movie might have been called Killer Bees or something like that. But Maybe. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's a great thing a that, that you have a lot of hobbyists getting involved because, like you said, you don't have those wild hives anymore. So anybody who's trying to grow an outdoor garden and they're trying to grow plants like maybe squash, uh, cucumbers, and things that need pollination, that need bees to cross-pollinate, uh, you know, those those hobbyists are helping you with your, your local garden and things like that. Okay. That's a great thing. All right, we got completely sidetracked on bees. It's not Sorry. a bee, a bee thing. That's my fault. I'm the one. I'm the one asking the questions. And again, apologizing for the leaf blower, the delivery truck, the music. So, growing up on what three thousand acres, honeybee farm, or another farm, and you had ten siblings, right? Ten. Yeah, there were eight boys and two girls. Uh, so, so a lot of people talk about growing up with. Uh, or, you know, adults as us, they don't want to have too many kids because they feel like they're going to not be able to give the amount of love and attention to that many children. They get spread too thin. A lot of people want the one kid, two kids. Yeah. That many is too much. So I, I don't know. What number were you in in that town? Three. You were number three? So, well, you were on the younger. Do any of your siblings, like, as, as they got, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, did, did they ever feel like they were less paid attention to or, or less loved somehow or I, i'm just curious what it, what it came from from someone who came from siblings of 10 and had parents that had 10 kids does it really get dispersed like that does your attention really get divided that much or are you still yeah. able to parent evenly no it gets divided i mean <laughs> without without the grandparents uh, you know my mom would have went nuts because oftentimes you know, being a mom, you got to pay attention to the one that's least capable of taking care of themselves. So whenever a new baby would come along, oftentimes have to extend for themselves, but take on a little bit more responsibility. Um, and the cool thing about growing up on a farm is um, when we start getting wild, mom would basically kick us out and say sleep and come back to you could roam everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I beat up many pine trees in my day and terrified many uh, animals as I ran through the woods howling like a howling monkey. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I, I walked all over that place. Uh, just, I mean, built forts, lost dad's tools. Um, you know, that type of stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's very interesting. Uh, like I said, it seemed to me 
that, you know, as more and more kids came, mom's attention became focused. But growing up on a farm, we often we oftentimes joke that dad had 10 kids because he was too cheap to, to pay for any labor to come in. And so as soon as you got old enough to do something, you wouldn't work. Like the first time I went to Wisconsin, I was 10 years old. My oldest brother was eight. And we would go up there and we would we would uh, smoke the beehives and we'd be out with dad. And uh, some of my fondest, you know, because my dad worked so much um, trying to put food on the table. Uh, and so he was oftentimes gone with the honeybees, constantly moving them the way you have to do so. One of the, some of the few times I really got to spend quality time with my dad was when we were about moving honeybees, driving down the road. Um, you know, get to ask him questions and you know, just get to know him because for a good portion when, when I was a kid, he was gone. You know, he'd come home in the evening. So with that many kids, I mean, how did you even travel? So the audio at this point is unbearable. Let me summarize Jacob's answer to their transport. Their parents basically bought a 16-passenger old church bus, uh, no AC, hot as heck, uh, they took out one of the seats for cargo, things like that, and, and that's what they made work. But for the most part, you know, if they were going into town, uh, they really didn't take all the kids. You know, you know, people would stay behind with grandparents or stay behind at the the 2,600 acres and play. Uh, so, you know, Jacob kind of went on and said how excited he was every time he went into town, which this was a very small town to start with. Uh, but anyway, the audio was too bad to to let just play, so... A uh, quick summary, and here we're going to get back to it. So did all your family live on the same property? Did, like, your grandparents live on that 3,000 acres as well? So my dad's parents, and I, it's my grandfather on my dad's side who who, uh, who owned the property. Yeah, they live across the field from us. And then right up the road, um, eventually my mother's parents um, bought, a, bought a house. And so okay. we had both sets. And so oftentimes, uh, you know, we would. I spent most of my time over at... Um, uh, my dad's parents, who, who, who owned the farm um, with Granny and Papa. So, you know, as, as a kid, they became almost second parent um, in, in a sense. Oftentimes, like if there was a kid who was sick, he would go to Granny because that you don't sense. want that kid to get everybody else sick. And so Granny would send the sick one. And then when we're better, ship us back. So if you get corona, if you get corona, you go to grandma's. Not anymore. She's uh, she's not a spring taker. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's sort of how it was. I just so so mom was at home on three thousand acres, often alone with ten kids. Yep. I, I, I guess at the end, you know, I guess there were phases of there were three kids and four kids and five kids. Interesting story. Uh, the UPS guy comes up one time and um, knocks on the door to deliver a package. And uh, and mom answers the door and she goes, do you know you have three kids running around naked and a baby calf under your house? She goes, welcome to my world. And she shut the door. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, we, you know, you bottle feed calves when the mother dies. And that was that was life, man. And, and you know, we grew up pretty poor uh, as far as, you know, dad didn't make the greatest living. But, you know, we always had food and shelter and clothes we just chose not to wear them but uh so here's a question so with with a dad working that much uh and actually having to go to wisconsin so be far away and not not coming home late at night or anything just not being there uh was there any resentment within the kids of dad being gone so much or is it appreciation for dad going out and providing because everything you had was 
it was survival in a sense. My dad was the disciplinarian, like, you know, and so oftentimes my mother would, um, you know, you wait till your dad gets home and, and he'll deal with this. My dad, after working all day, would have to come home and dish out butt whoopings. You know, I could see just, I remember as a kid seeing the look like, oh my gosh, I got to deal with this. Okay, come on, kids, line up. And he'd literally, he'd line us up. There'd be four or five of us, kind of lean up against the couch, and he'd walk, 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 go down the line, spanking. And uh, so when I was really young, I remember being afraid of my dad coming home because I was, you know, with 10 kids, you're always getting into trouble. And so oftentimes I had a butt whooping waiting for when he'd come home. Now, when I started working with him, again, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, then I began to appreciate more what he was doing, what it took for him to put food on the table. Because I got to see that. And eventually, you know, a lot of kids, when they got off of, of school for the summer, were like, yay, summer. I was like, no. Oh, yeah, I was going to the top. It was work, you know. Uh, we're, we're, we're bailing hay and it's hot as hell. And that was, that was the farm life. And I grew to respect my dad more as I got older and, and, and again, got to spend more time. Uh, I was just about to ask that. So, like, as you became a dad, did you start to kind of reflect on what he was going through? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even my mother, you know, who, who, you know, like I said, she'd oftentimes, you know, go play. Well, you know, I, I want to stay in the house. I, I want to watch TV. No, get, get out. Go play. You know, I'm like, man, you know, I, mom doesn't want me around. Mom doesn't, you know. As you get older and you become a parent, you start to see that, yeah, I get it, right? Even with the three I got, sometimes I want to tell them, you know, go play. <laughs> were, were there ever arguments or, I guess, discussions with your parents of, like, stop doing honeybees? There's farmers all over this country that farm at home. Like, do something here so you're here more often? Or was it just kind of accepted that this is our life, this is what we do? Yeah, so me, I know we've often, we often joke that, especially when we were doing it, that we hated honeybees. A lot of people are like, oh, I love honey. You love honey. You work with it, don't you? No, I, I don't love honey. It tastes fantastic. I just don't love it. I grew to resent it because of uh, just how hard we worked with not a whole lot of coming back. Uh, yeah. um, you know, unless you, you're, you know, the, the perfect beekeeper, you're not going to make, you know, a ton of money doing it not being 10 kids and, and, and working a farm alongside, you know, 3000 acre farm alongside your, your, your dad. So I'm sure, I'm sure taxes on 3000 acres are no, uh, no, no small amount, you know, and that's one thing my grandfather passed away, you know, a little bit ago and we've sort of taken more responsibility over the day-to-day -day operations, which he handled. My grandfather did up until he physically, you know, um, got Parkinson's and couldn't. He was constantly doing the day-to-day -day things. So we've had to take on more and more of that responsibility uh, around the farm. So that's been interesting. So when you say we, you're talking your, your father or you siblings as a whole? All of us. So one of the things, you know, oftentimes you see a lot of families who, you know, fight, don't get along, this person doesn't talk with that one. We've been very blessed and fortunate that all 10 of us can sit down and have a really good time. It doesn't mean we always agree. It doesn't mean we don't throw a cuss word or two uh, from time to time. But we oftentimes will sit down as a family and say, here's where we're at with the farm. Here's where we want to be. All right, let's start talking about how we're going to get there. So that's what every mom and dad want. They want their, their kids and them to all, you know, 
20, 30, 40 years down the line to all be able to come back together and, and be, no one wants a dysfunction that seems so prevalent everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So I guess what, what, what caused that? Like, why are you guys, what do you think the advantage was that you're fit with so, so many people where there could have been a lot of friction, there could have been a lot of fights, there could have been a lot of, I'm sure there was disagreements and, and big things, you know, uh, I guess what caused you all to stay so tight? I don't know, man. I know, I know, like, we, I've had, like, two brothers, Jared and Jordan, fought like cats and dogs. When I say fight, I'm talking, like, full-on, bloody nose, fisted. I, I never got in that, because my older brother was huge, and I was a, a beanpole in high school. So if I punch him, I'm, I'm dead, right? Um, country boys are rolling in the mud all the time. Yeah, I mean, but those two, it was horrible working with them. Because we always and but there in high school something flipped and again a lot of it happened when we got older and became you know teenagers or adults um we i don't know do you, we think, just, do you think it was a sheer amount of time you guys had to spend next to each other yeah because a bond we, later we down didn't the go anywhere i mean you we were stuck there together we had no money even if we did go somewhere, we, we, we really couldn't couldn't afford to do anything. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I went to Disney World once, and that was when Mom only had three kids. After that, it was too expensive. Like we could not go out to eat as a family because to feed twelve people that adds up. Yeah, and and so, uh, but yeah, we just just I guess the sheer amount of time, like you said, plus you you see this a lot on farms. You see this a lot on. In a lot of manual labor jobs, a lot of times people will, you know, you know, uh, I guess uh, poke fun at each other, right? Mock each other, sort of, you know, that sort of thing. But you know, it's all in fun, and a lot of that relieves. And we, me and my brother still do that to this day. Whether it's hunting, right? I can't shoot a, a deer for to save my life. I can kill targets all day long, but if a deer comes out in front of me, I'm like Elmer, Elmer Fudd. And they constantly mock me for that. And it's, and I know it's all in fun because I'm going to get my chuckle sometimes later on something else they're going to do that's stupid. And, and that's something we've always done and we still do it to this day. And I don't know if that plays a role, but it, it, I, I enjoy spending time with my family. It's one of the, the best things is when we have a, a family cookout and everybody just shows up and we sit around and we eat. My cousins, you know, my kids get to play with their cousins and so, I mean, because I, I, that's one of the things I say a lot is just like, I, I just feel like as a dad, the spending the time with them, even as young when they're kind of born and just little balls of mush that don't do much, I feel like the time there creates a bond that's going to pay off dividends down the line just because that's what they know and, and, you know, the bond's there. Uh, I agree. Uh, and I know with my own kids, I, I, I oftentimes feel I spend more time breaking up fights and disciplining than actually sitting down and having those those connections and then when i think back with my own situation my dad i felt kind of the same way with him right it, it was he was constantly disciplining me and not necessarily you know having those good father-son conversations so yeah i'm with you anytime you can sit down and generate good time with your with your kids whether it's driving I me mean, driving in the truck was always one of the best moments for my dad because when we got out of the truck it was time to work, um, you know. But most of the trucks we had didn't have radio in them, so there was nothing to do but the talk. Just today, go fast 
crooks. But today, the, I, I feel one of the biggest problems is we have so many distractions, not just kids, but me as an adult. I, I've oh, got yeah. my, my work, you know, in my back pocket with my phone. I carry a computer with me and can, you know, zone out. So for me, I physically have to leave my phone at home or in the truck when I go places with my wife and kids or else I, it, it's natural now. You know, just right. pull that thing out when I have nothing to do. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's a source of information. You can do stuff on it. Just, uh, I, I use it now more than ever because we've kind of converted our business to all on the phone. So sometimes, even like working on the RV, like my RV is synced to my phone. So sometimes I'm just monitoring tank levels and things like that or turning off lights. And yeah. um, I just feel like I'm always staring at that thing. It's genuinely part of life. Uh, I've, I've had to sit there and tell the kids, like, that's not playing Candy Crush. Like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> Like I don't even, I've never played any games on my phone. I'm literally just working, answering emails or or monitoring things, just because everything is everything is tied to it. Yeah, um, that's the same here. I have no games on my phone, but my daughter's like, you know, Dad, what what are you doing? I'm like, well, yeah. you know, I'm answering emails or I'm answering students with everything being online now and, and teaching. You know, I, I constantly, you know, twenty four seven. I got kids sending me emails at midnight, and you know, my hours are all messed up, so I'm up at midnight answering emails. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So you grew up in a, um, traditional family. Mom kind of took care of the, the household and everything. And I know what, I think it was your third kid, right? Where Dana went back to work and you really, you did a lot with, uh, your third youngest, right? Or was it your second? So with, with, with Kale, um, so I, I, um, I took over sort of the B business for a time and, and was running that and, like I said, things, the bees were dying constantly, which we already talked about. And we were putting so much money back into the business to try to keep it. We decided to go in a different direction and, uh, and phase out the bees or, or shrink them down, which, which we did. And at that time, my wife, um, who had went and got a, a degree in psychology but couldn't find any work, decided to go back to school. And so when she... Uh, when she was at school, I was running the bee business and, you know, trying to take care of the kids and, uh, and be a stay at home dad. And then when she finished, I was going to school and still a uh, stay at home dad. So it was very interesting. I had about a, a three year period where you did a lot with them during the day. And, and I know my habits around the house of completely changed I, you know i i didn't i worked all day you know in a room or uh, when i come home i'd get out so cleaning was not something i wanted to do right. and, but being my philosophy when i was a stay-at-home dad was my wife's gone and so when she comes home i want her to not have more about cooking cleaning. i want her to sure. do much time with the kids and so, and that's coming from someone who I feel like you're very traditional in your values and like you're you know yeah. almost that old school because that's how you were raised. That's how I was raised, right? The wife stays home, you know, cooks and cleans and, and is, the husband is, goes out and works. So is that is that, 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 that is that something you struggled with? Like was yeah. that a challenge in the beginning, or did you just fully accept it and say that hey, you know this is what we gotta do? No, uh, well I I recognize that she she and uh you know and then uh but yeah so if 
I said that was no biggie for me. I mean, yeah, I grew up in, in a pretty traditional household, but I consider myself a somewhat progressive guy. You know, going to college, I'm the first in my family to get a four-year degree. Oh, really? Actually, graduate college. Uh, I've had several siblings after me who come along. Yeah, I'm the first. My mom and dad were high school educated. My grandparents. You you paved the road for them. Yes. Take full credit. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that credit. Um, but no, so it, you know, even though I, I did grew up in a, a traditional household, and for the first five or six years of my marriage, it was very traditional. Um, it, it was interesting uh, seeing, you know, just being that, especially with my daughter, my wife. You know, had her took her maternity leave and then went back to work. So here I am stuck with this two-month-old baby, and I. I never really did well with babies and i you know stuck it up and get it done type thing and, and so it was very interesting learning experience for me and even though we're both working full-time plus you know taking care of the kids you know a lot of the, the cooking the cleaning you know the things that i i picked up when i was you know sort of the, the stay-at-home dad i still do them that has changed that makes sense. So you grew up in nature. It's just what you knew. You were in the woods all the time because yep. your mom kicked you out of the house. Is that something you try and are you raising your kids in that same way? Like you guys are always out and about? Or is Not that as much you're, as you're just like. a different world? Yeah, just, just a different world. Not as much as I'd like. I mean, uh, I try to, like, I still go hunting. You know, it, the farm's big enough. We can, we can go hunt deer and, and, and stuff. But I can't pride my kids out there for some reason not hunting at least they say it's too boring so we you know we go to the the gun range uh that hurts i know right i'm like you know as a dad you know or, or growing up before you have kids you're like yeah i'm gonna take my kid out i'm gonna teach him how to hunt hopefully he shoots better than me and all this good stuff and they're like yeah i don't really want to go dad like, have, you, you know, have you ever taken them because i assume you guys got a million squirrels out there you ever done uh squirrel hunting with them like with a little pellet gun no I feel like that would be fun. I've never done it. Like I said, the only thing that I, I can get them out there. So now that my boys are a little older, um, a lot of times we go to the farm uh, for work days. Like tomorrow, we're working cows. Um, we got about 200 head of cattle that we got to uh, treat, vaccinate, and stuff. So they're going to be there working cows. Um, but uh, but yeah, they don't. I don't spend as much time outside as I would like to because. Uh, I don't know. Oftentimes, it's just not a lot of opportunities for me. I guess. Sure, because you're 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 not in the city or anything, but you're in definitely a, a suburban area. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I always told myself, I said, I'm never going to live in one of those cookie cutter neighborhoods, right? I'm only going to ever live on a farm. My wife was like, I want to go to St. Augustine. I'm like, all right, let's go look. But the only place I could afford is a cookie cutter neighborhood because sure. I'm not paying a million dollars for an acre of land. Yeah, and so here I am in a cookie cutter neighborhood, Bill. Um, so, well, at least you still the family farm you get to go. Yeah, well, it's not and too far to travel. Live, live, you know, I live in St. Augustine, but you know, it's on the south end of it, which is it's only a 20 25 minute ride to the farm, which helps out. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm envious of that property. I wish it was mine or, or my family's. Yeah, we're it's not. Uh, it is a ton of work, you know, and, and a lot of people, 
I remember growing up, we're like, oh, look at all that land. You guys must be rich. Must be rich. I'm like, you ever heard the term land rich and dirt poor? Most farmers I know are driving 15-year-old vehicles. Not because they love that vehicle, but because they can't afford to buy a new one. Yeah. And, like I said, uh, I, I, said earlier, I, I just imagine the taxes on that, that much acreage is just killer. It's a lot. And a lot of the work we do, it just it goes back into upkeep. Yeah. Um, like I said, on top of the, the farm funds itself, but all of us have to do other things, other jobs to pay the bills and still go work the farm to keep it. So it's it's a labor of love. I mean, none it of seems, us. It seems like you guys made some smart moves. Like I, I know the um, that whole haunted house thing was doing well for you. It was, but what we found is um, we ended up cutting back on that because we just our first year was good, second year was great, third and fourth year we just got less and less people, and and a lot of the people that we got were were repeats, people who knew. But right, the one thing about my farm is it is out sort of in the middle of nowhere. It's so a hall to get there. Getting people out there was very difficult. And so um, that was one of our biggest things. Now, we've kept everything from the haunted barn because the idea is eventually uh, potentially trying to do it uh, again if we can find sort of a better location. Sure. Um, but, yeah, you know, when you have that, we're constantly getting together and talking about ideas on how to utilize the land differently in, in a 21st century world. Because I assume uh, the whole family wants to keep it. They don't want to have to sell parcels of it off. Correct. Right. And that's one thing we, we sat out and talked about was, you know, who's willing to put in the work. And all, all of us sat down and basically agreed. So is that something, do your mom and dad have that in place? Because I'm big on like having a will and, and, and life insurance as well. Um, but because like if you're, your mom and dad get in a car accident tomorrow, I mean, that could cause some some serious friction between the family. That's that's so tight of, hey, I want it. I want to live on it. Hey, we need the money to sell it off or we don't want to put in the money to take care of it or, or the time and effort. And that can really divide up a family real quick on something that large. Yeah. And, and you know, growing up in, in that rural setting, we saw it happen with other families, right? Grandpa dies and, and, you know, the kids are at each other's throats about keeping and selling and who's getting what. So I know with the farm itself, that was all the will was all put together because again it was my grandfather's place now on my dad's side i i don't know i'd have to ask mom and dad if they full on got a will i think he does but but i don't I know. hope so yeah i know i know for me when my grandfather dying i'm like and i see kids i say kids adults my, you know people i went to school with who are croaking i'm like me and my wife we got to sit down and do something you know put put pen to paper because we we know what we want it's just a matter of sitting down and, and, and getting it done it doesn't take very long. It's not very expensive. It just takes a little bit of effort, like an hour. We even got the paperwork. We, we printed it out to fill it out. We just never actually sat down and did it. So it sounds like tonight you got something to do. You're right. <laughs> and then you know the uh, you just got to get it notarized, which you know a bunch of people in the title business. So you yeah. just swing down there and have them notarize it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, I never had anything. I had, you know, even when the first. 
Well, it doesn't matter. Even if you, even if you don't have anything, if you die, and just because some things are in your name, you just don't want it to have to go through the probate courts because it takes so long. It's such a frustrating experience. Whether you have anything bigger or not doesn't really matter. It's just the process your wife has to go through to move the cars and the house into her name. If you just sit there and write that will that says, hey, everything goes to my wife in the event I die, then well, I, I totally agree with you. The legal process is in place. Because if it's not there, you would think. You would think if I die, everything's going to go to my wife. But if it's not written and notarized in a will, state specific, it's not going to go that way. It, it will eventually. It's going to take months. And then your wife goes from grieving that she lost her husband to hating the SOB for not putting the will in place. Yeah. But now she's got to deal with all this crap because it has to go through the probate courts. No, I totally just, agree with you. I'm just telling you, like, uh, until we bought this house that we're in now, I had absolutely nothing that I personally own. We had one car that, <laughs> that belonged to my wife. She bought that before we ever got married. That was it. Yeah. You have life insurance? Uh, I do now, again, that's and that's been in the past couple of years when I started working for the school district. Um, but yeah, I mean, for most of our life, we we didn't have, you know, anything. <laughs> we have it now. Yeah, I mean, you know, now that we're we're both working, which still it, to live here in St. Augustine, I don't know a whole lot of families who are, are single income. It's, yeah, that's true. I mean, I know it's not New York City, San Francisco expensive, but for the money that you're making at the jobs around here, it can be difficult. Well, St. John's County is one of the wealthier counties in, in Florida. Correct. Uh, and things are, you know, and things are constantly getting more and more expensive, especially real estate as more and more people move in. But salaries are everyone visits St. Augustine on vacation and says, wow, this is a nice place. Let's let's move here in a couple of years. And they yeah. do. And they do. Driving everything up. It's getting so big. It's driving me crazy. Like I know they're right here behind my house. They're they proposed a, a, a five thousand home. Uh, ah. You know, big old they, massive, two million square feet of commercial space. There goes all your wilderness. Yeah. Well, I, luckily there is a a buffer between me and and that that development. But all that's you know they're in the process of putting that together. But. Even here, you know, living in the woods on the edge of St. Augustine, like I do, I mean, they're, they're, I'm constantly seeing articles about new hospitals, new shopping, new, you know, St. Augustine's just blowing up. It, I'm, I don't know. It's yeah. great for my for real sure, estate yes. value, from you know, real estate perspective. But I just growing up on a farm, I, I don't like being surrounded by a lot of people. I didn't grow up on a farm, and I don't want to be around people either. I sometimes dread going into town because I just I, the angriest I ever get is when I'm driving, and that's because you know you got so many people that you can't control potentially you ever, killing you and your family. Yeah. Do you ever go up to Jacksonville? As little I lived there for about six months, and yeah, I try not to. I hate I hate driving to Jacksonville. Traffic's horrible. I mean, traffic's getting bad in St. Augustine, but the, the the furthest I ever drive into Jacksonville is the Avenue Mall. That's about it. Downtown. Nope. That's not so bad. Um, so you got a kid, uh, 15 years old. So he's in high school then. Yeah, he's a freshman. Uh, he's about to finish his freshman year. Uh, he goes to the same school that I I teach at, St. Augustine High School. So that's, nice. that's been interesting. Yeah, and he struggles with. That. What's that? Any struggles there? 
No, with I him mean, either adapting to high school or having a, a parent that works there. No, not real. I mean, not. I don't think so. Uh, nothing that, that he's ever mentioned. It, it's. Uh, it's interesting. I don't view myself in my mind mentally. I'm too young to have a 15 year old. Physically, I feel you know 78, but mentally, uh, I, I don't. I don't feel that old. But it, it's been interesting, you know, going to school with him uh, and watching him. He, he's a great kid. He did virtual school for a little bit, and so he's very independent in terms of if he has something, you know, uh, schoolwork to do, he'll do it. I don't have to stay on top of him. Has there been a totally different? But him, you know. So three goes 15. So has there been college discussions, college plans starting to be late? Are you guys like saving up for college or, or starting to at least work in that direction? Or yeah, you're the first one to go to college. Is that even a thing for you guys? Or do you care? I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a huge college fan. I, I go having gone to college and seeing all the availability of degrees that make no money little even history i i went to school uh, uh, i went back to college so i originally i um, right out of high school i got a scholarship to study contemporary dance i know i don't look like a dancer but i studied ballet in in, in modern dance out of brigham young university and then um and only went there for about a semester and a half and then come home and went to work and then i eventually went back and got my degree in history now i knew as a history teacher there was only really two options for me in the market at the time teaching and librarian unless i you know sort of get creative and do something online like you know um crash course or whatever uh those were my options with my kids i i you know i'd much rather them go learn to weld than get a degree in gender studies and and have you know uh, not a whole lot of job availability i i agree with you i, I, I think, think college has gotten overplayed uh, yeah heck it got no. stupid expensive because uh, i've had this discussion a few times I, I have zero problem with if my kids want to do school I, I have zero problem with it we'll we'll, we'll pay for it um, but i'm probably going to force them to either do in state where they have like you know florida's got bright futures and programs yep. to help assist in that um, or community college for the first two years because is that i went through it too and it's like you said, sometimes well, you get out there with a lot of money in, in an education that's very not valuable. Yeah. I and mean, then that's your choice of school. You know, a lot of kids are going to um, those big expensive universities because yeah. they live cool and they're, they're the party school and they got a great football team and it's out of state and it's costing them, you know, uh, student loans of what, $30,000, $40,000 a year, you know, times four years. Yeah, math. So it's a stupid choice in schools to begin with, um, but yeah, then they get some general degree that that has no specific purpose. So, I mean, it's not like it's a little it's different in, when you become a surgeon. It's insane when you look at the list of potential degrees. You're like, what even? Why is that? does it exist? Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. And, and you know, so me, my oldest kid, he's real, very very bright, lazy. Which, he gets that but bright and so I, I would love to see him you know engineering or something like that but when it comes to my kids does he have an interest in any any fields I think he's a little young for it but yeah so you know he was in the aerospace program um which i, I love that because we got emory riddle we got florida you know has a lot of, of schools for, for flying or even uh, other things but um he 
he got bored with it after the first year. So next year he's actually going into the teaching academy, which I told him don't. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so we'll that's see. You know, he, and that's, that's, that's cool he's constantly trying to fill out, you know, what he wants to do. And so I guess for me, it, I'm not going to push my kid in, into anything. I was that way with sports. I'm like, if you want to play a sport, you can play a sport, but I'm not going to be that. You got to play football, dad, or you got to play baseball, or you got to do what I did when I was a teenager. Yeah, I just let my kids don't, find their own don't way. Force them, support them, let them be them. That, that's always been my goal. I mean, other than work, like I will tell my kids, you know, you got to get outside and mow the lawn, or the neighbor needs some help. I, I want you to go help them. Um, but that's just me trying to, to build work ethic. It doesn't mean I want them to be a landscaper. That just means I want them to understand the value of, of hard work. Yeah, you're, molding, you're molding their character. Correct. Yeah. That's a good one. So, yeah, not a lot of dads will, will mention that one, you know, in the first hour of talking. But, so, like, you talk about helping a neighbor. So, generosity, you know, things like those, just being kind. Yeah. Like, what else are you guys doing to try and instill, instill those kind of values? I mean, you know, I, I have yet to talk to a dad that mentioned helping the neighbor, this was, which was fascinating. So that's why I, I jump on it. Well, like we had some winds come through and the guy next door, his fence flew down and uh, I propped it back up, but it just sat there and he's in a walker. He's a retired army vet. And uh, I'm like, you know what? And my boys come with me. We went to the store. We picked up some screws. I have the tools already. So we put it back up and, and, uh, and uh screw it together or here in florida we constantly have hurricanes and one of the things through our religious organization is is uh mormon helping hands is we go out and we muck houses we we, we clean up we cut up trees and so i um, you know I make my boys go with me and you know it's, it's interesting i remember as a kid um my dad would we would go work other people's honeybees. Now, most of these guys were very old and couldn't really work them themselves. But when the day was over, we still had to go back and work ours. And I resented my dad a little bit. I'm like, our stuff's dying and we're out here helping this old geezer. And, but the older I got, you know, again, it's, I don't know, age brings perspective. The older I got, I, I realized how so, know, pissed for that attitude was. So dad forced the character. It was resented for years. In a sense, so it was a it was a friction point. It just yeah. gets appreciated later. Yeah, and, I, and because, because the long term view was for good. Yeah, just like my wife, she goes, "Oh, the boys don't really want to go do that." I'm like, "I I really don't care. Yeah. They're gonna go." Yeah. And my and again, my hope is it won't build resentment. It could, and that they could, you know, focus on that versus you know their See, their ability I, to help. I genuinely don't think it will because it's for a good reason. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's it's out of kindness. It's out of gratitude. It's 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 helping. So and I'm not, I'm not sitting back in a lawn chair with a mai tai watching them get it all done. Right? It's it's dad's out there busting the hump, and you're you're helping me get this finished. Um, but I, one of the things I've enjoyed about my kids getting older is the fact that they can go and do those. Things, right? uh, they can go pull weeds. They can mow a neighbor's lawn. They they can actually you know get out and serve other people so we did that our, our hoa has a has a playground in our community um for a while our hoa just stopped doing things like stopped taking care of the common areas and so like the trash cans at the playgrounds were all overflowing and of course when trash cans are full 
normal people would not stuff stuff in there. But for some reason, the rest of the world thinks you should build a mountain on top of it. And then once that mountain's full, you should just toss around the trash can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody will eventually take care of it. It's like a game. Real, See how high you can pile it, right? It's ridiculous. And then, of course, the wind blows it. And it's fenced in, so there's just trash all over the fence. So uh, we were at the playground one day and just noticed that. And, um, uh, you know, we did the same thing. Just asked the boys, hey, we should clean this up. And, they, you know, they say the same thing. Why would we clean it up? Clearly no one else is. Why don't we just go ahead and go get some gloves and some trash bags and, and, and bag it all up and put it on the curb for the trash guys. And that's what we did. They actually loved it. I mean, they were... Well, probably Levi was probably seven or eight, so Ryder was maybe five. And you know, they still ask to this day when we can do that again. I'm like, well, ever since we did it, they've actually taken care of the park, so there's nothing to pick up right now. But and that's an interesting thing, it doesn't have to be some world changing event, just something small that takes a few minutes. Like, it took literally literally five minutes, yeah, uh, put that fence up and. You know, it's something, like I said, my dad kind of forced me to do, and I'm, I'm forcing my kids to do it. But so I mean, like, like my middle child, Kale, he goes, when we were, we were doing it, he goes, Dad, this man really can't do this. I go, no, son. I go, he's in a walker. He goes, I'm glad I'm able to help him. You know, and, you know, just That's trying nice. to, I don't know, build character, I guess. That's exactly what it is. So while, while we were at the park, um, they asked about, like, the – Park's starting to age a little bit, so it was really rusty and everything. So they were asking if we could fix that. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm really skilled at that, but we got a file and some sandpaper. And, like, we filed down some of, like, the sharp corners and things like that just to round them off. So no one got tetanus. And we got some cans of, like, rubber spray paint rubberized over some of it. And uh, Yeah, so I think, I think we went a little above and beyond. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they were super excited to do it. And, I mean, they still mention it every once in a while. Like, we'll see a trash bag on the side of the road that – you know, clearly blew off somebody's truck and busted open. They asked if we can pull over and clean it up. Like we're not pulling over on I ninety five. Just hop out without bags and gloves to clean that up. Yeah, something it's we like got to pick up on a NASCAR track. You know, good luck because they oh, don't yeah. slow down to get over for us. Maybe if they're older, but I'm not taking a five year old out there. <laughs> so at least not without some like bright orange vest or something. Yeah, but you know the hope is that you know they'll pay it forward. You know, one day. When the boys get a little older, they'll they'll you know look properly. Well, it, it's like a, it's, you know, th- like you said, that feeling when you're done of like, wow, you know, that was a pain while I did it, but I'm glad we helped that person, or you know, I'm glad we did that nice thing. That feeling, I think, will uh, be remembered, and that that's kind of what they strive for, I would assume, mm-hmm. down the road. So it yeah. sticks with them. Uh, what was the other ages of your kids? Uh, Kale's twelve, and then Aria's uh, five. So you got middle school. I had one Jenny. start. Talon started high school. Kale started middle school, and oh. Aria started elementary. So you got two boys that are in middle school and high school, which means they're starting to get exposed to uh, public school, right? Not that it matters. Public and private schools have the same issues. The, yeah. the, the drugs, the drugs get more expensive in the private school world. Yeah. Uh, so you're getting into sex, drugs, uh, girls. You know, some of the more awkward topics to discuss with your kids uh, now i know you and yeah I, I know you don't mind uh saying words that i feel i'm probably more of a prude i don't like to say those things and, and talk yeah. about them as much uh, i guess how did how did you broach them? at what age or at what um maturity did you start to broach those subjects with your kids and, and like how were those discussions going what, what's your advice to someone like me that doesn't hasn't gone through it yet to start to, you know you got to talk about sex. You got to let them know about it and, and your values on it. And same deal with drugs. For me, the number one thing is 
think back to when you were a kid. When was the first time you were ever exposed to it? All right, you want to talk to your kid before, at least before that age, right? Yeah. Now, me growing up on a farm, I understood the, the mechanics of the birds and bees at a very young age, which is why it's no biggie for me. You were breeding animals. Yeah, right. You know, it's nothing to walk, you know, drive drive around on the farm and, and see animals procreating on a daily basis, which is fantastic because that means more money to us, right? Um, it's something you know you encourage, like yes, go, you know, do it, and and you know, and so you know, intimacy and things like that. Even when at our family gatherings, where you know, dad had ten kids, he obviously loved mom a lot. You know, those are just some of the jokes. Uh, but with my own kids, you know, I, I definitely before middle school, you know, uh, to understand those topics. And you know, my wife maybe this is again more traditional, but she's like, all right, you're you're the dad. You need to go talk to the boy, right? You know, she'll handle the girls because there's things that I don't understand. I, I can't oh, comprehend sure. periods. I can't comprehend, you know, those types of issues. That's something my wife is going to have to deal with um, unless he just, you know, God fear and leave, you know, is gone. But, uh, but with my boys, you know, we talk about how their bodies are going to change and how their lives are going to change and how their focus is going to change. It doesn't mean you got to go into super hardcore detail about all the things, but... My thing is, I much rather I tell it, and they hear from me, than than they hear from you know cousin Joey or Ricky, you know, in, in sixth grade, who's going to give so them that's, a that's lot my of thing. information. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I heard, I learned. I probably didn't learn. I was probably so misinformed as a youngster. Uh, it just blows my mind going back and thinking about it. Yeah, because parents never sat down and had that discussion. <laughs> we didn't. I think after the fact, there were a few awkward ones where I was just like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. Oh, dude, on my wedding night, you know, I, I'm, I'm 21 years old. My dad goes, I guess there's nothing uh, I need to tell you that you don't already know. That was my dad's birth in the peace time. You know, I was 21. Um, so <laughs> I was like, no, dad, I, I think I got it. Yeah, I right. hope so. Uh, but yeah, so it's, I don't know, for me, you know, we try to, and a lot of a lot of my morals are, are based around my religion, which is uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and, and we work towards. I want you know the goal is you know no sex before marriage, um, but you know if you do, you do. But the idea is is try to save yourself. But you know just try to encourage that. Um, but for my kids, you know no dating until you're sixteen, and. Uh, we sort of took the approach because, you know, I got a 15 year old, so technically we can't start dating until, uh, until next year. So the goal is that you get to, you're going to, you can never date the same girl, you know, back to back. I'm taking the fam rule and I'm going to implement it. <laughs> now, why is that? What's the intent behind that rule? Comfortable. One, one of my, you know, and I look back at my life as a kid, I, I, I hung out with the same girls over and over and just got too comfortable. And, and, and like, you know, it doesn't mean you can't have your favorite. I just don't want my kids to, you know, I want them to meet a lot of different people. Right. St. Augustine is still, you know, kind of a small town. I want them to, to meet a lot of different people. Be exposed to as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, and I would think that way when they do settle down, if it's if it's younger, um, they don't have regrets four years later. Man, I just didn't 
I didn't see enough of the world. I didn't be enough, you know, I just went with the first choice instead of, you know, yeah, and you know, like, well, dad, you know, you married mom, and, and, and you know, you were, uh, you were uh, 20 years old when you married mom, she was 19. Y'all are still together. I'm like, yeah, and I'm, that doesn't mean that can't happen for you. I'm just saying, while you're at my house, <laughs> you know, this is what's going to happen, and so, uh, and luckily, like I said, my kids haven't started dating, so it's not like I'm trying to break, you know, all right, you've been doing it this way. Now we're going to know this is how it's going to start. This is how it's going to be. And and when you're 18, you date who you want. Yeah. But from the age of 16 to 18, I, I want you to, to do this. And I told him, I said, your friends are probably going to mock you because that's not traditional. But, hey, you know, they mock you for a lot of things. You. How how did the uh, discussion with drugs and things like that? Because I, I mean, I remember in middle school, I didn't experience it until I moved to Florida. I, I grew up in a family. Uh, my dad would always kind of drove in like drugs are stupid, don't ever do them, idiots, you know that kind of thing. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to Florida. I think it was Gamble Rogers Middle School. It was like sixth or seventh grade uh, was the first time I got actually exposed. And it was like my first day there in PE class. It's like kids like. I came in in the middle of the year, and some kids like, "Hey, you like to get high? You want to get high? Like after school?" <laughs> like my first day, it was my first time being exposed to it. So middle school, uh, uh, which I feel like is pretty early, and I never did them. I don't know because I think it was just beating me. I was actually, I think I was more afraid of athletics and affecting my athletic career. And I just knew I was going to go play in the NFL, so uh, I didn't want it to affect me. Then I got to college and realized that all the great athletes were stoners. <laughs> Oh, it really maybe doesn't affect you all that much. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, My top 100 class, half of them were stoned most of the time. I'm like, okay. yeah. <laughs> so have you had, have you had that with your middle schooler and uh, in high school? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we're especially with, with high school. I mean, like I said, when I was in middle school, like you, I saw, you know, kids selling weed on the playground, like, like in, you know, during lunch, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're selling weed right there at, at Beasley Middle School. Um, and uh, makes you wonder, like, what what's their source? Like, where and, they get it from? And dude, this was, you know, years ago, and it's gotten yeah. a lot worse now. Like you said, that the, the drugs have changed. It's not weed One, in a bag. It's a it's a pill that, uh, you know, I know our big problem at, at our school, on top of drugs suicide and other things is uh you know that whole vaping thing right i didn't even know what they were oh yeah I, I, the I e yeah i taught for two years they're like it looks like a usb drive i'm like i wonder how many kids have been smoking in my class and i didn't know when my back was turned <laughs> like, i don't know but yeah we've had that talk and a lot of it comes down to like your dad you know it's just stupid you know, it's expensive. And me, I, I, I take an economical approach. I'm like, you know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and is that the truth? Right? And, and it's not attractive. And, but, you know, like I grew up in a, in a family. We, my parents never drank. They never did. They never smoked cigarettes. We didn't even drink coffee or tea. Which, you know, the you know Latter-day Saint thing, Mormon thing. But um, so it was. You know, that doesn't mean I didn't. You know, you know, throw my wild oats and, and, and try a few things. But with my own kids, uh, same thing with sex. I'm like, guys, don't. But if you do, you know, is there anything that was uh, 
that you're dealing with in the high school, middle school age group that is unexpected, that just didn't exist, in, you know, besides the whole vaping thing. It just didn't exist when we were there. The, the depression, the, the amount of depression and, and anxiety that I see among young kids today, being a teacher. Yeah, you just mentioned you're dealing with suicide in the high school, yeah. which I hadn't heard anything about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that, that, and a lot of it is because of the depression and, uh, and the anxiety that goes along with I don't think I did, you know, when I was a teenager, but today, dude, it's, it's crazy. What do you think is causing struggle. Social media, it would be probably the biggest. Uh, oh, so, so caring about what other people are saying and that thinking. Constant comparison. As a teacher, like, you know, they're, they're constantly, well, I've got the new iPhone. Oh, well, you know, I've, I've, I've got, you know, a three-year-old. Oh, you're poor. And then, you know, clothes. I remember my kid, my middle kid, wanted a, a pair of white Adidas. And I love white. It's like, I'm like, yeah, my boy's going retro. Get it. He wears them to school one day and then never wears them again. Two weeks go by, they're still brand new, just sitting there. I'm like, son. Someone said something. Yeah, like, why aren't you wearing the shoes? Uh, you know, I just don't like them anymore. I go, you loved him. What's going on? He goes, well, this, this kid made fun of me. You know me. I'm like, you know, F that kid or whatever. But, uh, you know, yeah. And that's just how it is today. So, I, I mean, even to this day, I just so genuinely don't care what other people think. Like, yeah. I almost I almost go against the grain on purpose just because that's how much I don't care. Like, I, I don't want to go with status quo. Uh, guys, I wonder how you ingrained that. I mean, is that I something? Uh, did you know? Did you tell your boy, like, bro, wear them? Do you? Yeah. Like, like, forget. Who cares what they think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. Cares. And, and when I told him, I'm like, you know, just laugh it off. With me, I, I, I got to the point in my life where I'll make fun of myself before you ever can. Right? Like my my first day of school, when my students come in, I go, "Hi, my name's Jacob Tilton, and yes, I'm bald." Right? So, you know, and take that's away the power. Me. Yeah, take away the power, and that's what I try to tell my kids. I'm like, you know, if somebody's like, "What are those?" Be like, "They're white shoes." So it's not so funny anymore. I was telling Ryan the other day. I forget what it was in regards to. This. I was like, man. I need to remember what the story was. I know I had said if someone was making fun of me because I had purple hair, like I wouldn't care because to me it's not. Yeah. Like, whatever. It's, it's it's irrelevant to me. I don't care what they think. I just think they're wrong. Like that's how I feel on almost everything. Like, if you make fun of me for something because I don't dress, I certainly don't dress for um, style. I just wear whatever I grab. And in high school, I just wore whatever the football team gave me. Like we had in St. Augustine High School, it was maroon shorts and gray shirts. That's all I wore all day every day. No care. I didn't care if it matched. I didn't care if it was inside out. I didn't care if it smelled bad. Just whatever. That's what I wore. Uh, and if you thought otherwise, I just thought you were wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, towards the end of my high school, I remember I started to care a little bit more. Uh, it, it, for me, it was, it was about girls. You know, I, I dressed because I wanted to, to meet girls and and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, that's, you know, one of the reasons I learned how to dance and, and went to dance and sing and stuff because I just I wanted to meet chicks. I just really into girls back then. But you know, to me 
don't know. And again, maybe this is just me looking back. I, I swear it's worse today, man, as far as kids just being hypercritical, not only of each other, but of themselves in terms of looks and appearance. And, and I know, you know, you go on these social media sites like Instagram and, and the, all the girls look fantastic, but you take away the filters and uh, a little less fantastic, right? Sure. And, sure. But that's all they see is, is these doctored up things and everybody looks like they have the per right. You see this face that looks gorgeous, but if you pan out, their, their house is, is just as beat up as yours is, right? Yeah. And that's what I'm, you know, trying to get that across to a kid is, is hard. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things you just got to start early and just consistent, consistent, consistent. Who I gives like my oldest kid, he, he doesn't care. He's like you, man. He, whatever is laying around, he, he, you know, he just does not really care about clothes or. I think, I think it's great. But my middle child is, 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 is super hyper focused on. I mean, he, he, he wants to be in that, that in crowd. So it's very interesting seeing those two different and trying, you know, having to deal with what it is. completely different. See, I never wanted to be in the in crowd. I wanted them to join me. Like, just come my way. <laughs> like, I'm going to yeah. go left. You just come with me. If you're going right, whatever, I'm still going left. I, I tell him all the time. I'm like, son, be a leader. Yeah. Be different. If they, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come to you. Because that's going to be the winning way five years after high school. Yeah. So how big of, is suicide really a problem there? It's pretty bad. Really? Like, is that within the county or like, is that just teacher stats nationwide or is it like your school? It, it's, it's nationwide. It's, it's a big issue. I mean, it's to the point where the state of Florida is mandating that we teach uh, mental health uh, lessons, which is odd because I know nothing about mental health. Um, but yeah, this year they they mandated finally because anxiety, depression, suicide, drugs have become such an issue in school. I mean, I'm very um, good. The school district is about protecting kids' identity and protecting. Right, um, and then that's smart because that that kind of stuff, that kind of gossip will compound. And correct. That'll, that'll so that's one thing I, I love about St. John's County is, it, as a teacher, it can be difficult because I want to know more about how I can help my students, but they're very, very protective about, you know, what they let people know. Yeah, even and that's smart. That is smart. Uh, that's something I'm going to dig into then, definitely. Put on some more content like, and just figuring out how. How do you? Uh, I guess what? How, how do you build up that level of character of, of self-esteem and self-worth? You know, just who gives a shit what other people think? And it doesn't matter, dude. We're we're talking poor kids in a standard class or your ace kids who who come from money. It, it's across the board. It, it knows no economic socioeconomic class, which is something. Something important for dads to be talking about with, yeah. I guess, as young as possible. Rich dad, poor dad, it doesn't matter. Black, white. Be, be yourself. I, yeah. And, 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 and you, but you see it all across the board. Um, kids, act, I mean, and I, and I would think having a home life where mom and dad genuinely like love and care about you, regardless of your, your path of where you're going. Yeah. Uh, I, I would think that's super important versus a, a mom or dad that's trying to help them fit in with getting the right clothes and uh, getting the right electronics and things like that. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, we're trying you know, to help them fit in because because it almost projects as um, geez, maybe mom and dad don't have confidence in me to be cool or fit in. Like they're trying to help me get there with these things that are going to change all the time. Uh, versus, I have this stable base at home that <laughs> loves me regardless of what I wear or yeah. regardless of what I have and what I wear. That'd be my biggest thing is just you know let my kids know that I, I don't care. Right, I told my kids I said outside of murder, I don't care if it's drugs or um, you know, sure. you're my kid. And, and, you know, I love not medicating uh, anything. No, that's, that's a good thing. All right, anything else you want to you want to bring up? I, guess I don't know. I mean, like from from bees you know, to suicide. Yeah, bees <laughs> to suicide, right? So. Prospection. <laughs> No, I mean, I find it interesting, you know, you know, old boys versus girls thing, but my kids are still young and, you know, it, I don't know. I've always focused on my negatives, which, you know, I guess that's what kids do today, but, you know, I always look at, like, you know, across the wheel thing. I look up, you know, my, my savings for retirement. And, uh, I, I didn't do policy education for my kids because we never had enough money to, sure. you know, pay for groceries, much less that side money. So my, my hopes are if my kids go into college, it's a bright future scholarship. So I, I find oftentimes Oh no, and that's the most that's the most difficult thing about the subject in general. It's just it's so diverse and so wide, and there's so many things that work. There's there's a few core things that are important, but yeah, uh, different cultures and different uh, personalities and, and different family, different things work for you, and what works for you doesn't necessarily work for for Bill and John. And, my biggest, my biggest fear before I ever had kids, and it's still my biggest fear today, is that something I said or something I will do will screw my kids up. Will just ingrain in their head and create some sort of, you know, mental break think, later on down the road. And, and, you know, and, 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 I feel like that, that has to be either really repetitive or really dramatic. I agree. For, I agree. For that. But, you know, that's always my biggest fear is, it, you know, am I, am I telling my kids I love you enough? Am I uh, being I know I'm not positive enough. I, I'm oftentimes, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, is, is I think I, I spend more time nitpicking my kids, you know, uh, take out the trash, clean up. Sure. Uh, you know, you got to be. Well, we all do that. For an A and trying to step back as a dad okay you've criticized now let's let's find uh something positive right yeah. something positive to, to you know because it's not the army i'm not trying to you know break them down to build them up i'm just oh i am 100 <laughs> percent. i absolutely am I have, I have no idea tearing them down as long as we're also building them up on, on the flip side of that it's not just constant tear down it's not boot camp. It's over, you know, 20 years. But yeah, it's not yeah I, I, I have no problem nitpicking and, and correcting. And, and it just has to be done. I mean, you know, but then also, you know, some positive enforcement, building them up. And, 
I mean, I, I want my yeah, kids to be well. better than me. And not to say that I'm bad. I just, I don't want that. Like my, my kids, my son the other day, he was, what was he doing? He was swinging something around and it, was, it wasn't even ours. And I'm like, son, don't do that. I'm like, that'll break. He goes, gosh, you wasn't even doing nothing wrong. I go, no, no, no. I'm telling you that will break because when I was your age, I swung the exact same thing around. It was like a boogie board, right? And, and I'm like, yeah. the string will pop out. And that's not even ours. He was so upset that I got off to him. But I'm like, dude, I, I see what's going to happen because I've done it. Well, and you explain it like that. And it's going to make a whole lot more sense. Maybe not immediately, but, you know, upon reflection for him. When the when the why is told, it, it I think it it helps a lot. But, you know, I think oftentimes us as dads is, is we're like, you know, hey, don't do not do that. That's a mistake because we made it, right? We, sure. we don't want you to make that same mistake. At the, you know, and at the same time, I remember thinking this when I was a kid because I moved out when I was 16. And uh, part of the premise, I remember my dad yelling at me over something. We got in some big fights. Uh, uh, but was, he, he was saying something like, because he grew up without a dad, that he's giving me everything he didn't have because he didn't have a dad. I just remember thinking, I never said it to him, but yeah, but you're not giving me the things you did have. You had, you had freedom, you had independence, you had the ability to, you know, you were kind of on your own. Uh, you could make your own choices. You weren't just being puppeteered. Uh, so, you know, I just, uh, it's something that's ingrained with me of making sure you give them some of the stuff you did have. Like you had a lot of freedom. You had, you know, the ability to just go off on your own. And, yeah, as long uh, as we got our work done, my parents were pretty pretty progressive and you know yeah you can go hang out yeah you can go there and that's yeah. that's one thing me as a dad that i'm trying to, i'm having to deal with now with my 15 year old like the other day he's like hey can i go this ice cream joint with my friend my first friend oh no. yeah you want to keep them in your bubble yeah but i'm like well the kid's almost 16 it's gonna be driving so just getting used to the fact that like you like you said i, I gotta give him some independence give them what i, give them what I did and that's sure but when they're out of my control, they're not safe. You know, I can't protect you. I can't, I can't swat away the drugs and, and, and that type of stuff. And, and it terrifies me to death. Especially <laughs> it's part of it. You got to hope you did a good enough job. In high school, you know, I could just stand in the hall monitoring the hall, and oh my gosh, the stuff I hear. It yeah. will, will, will make a, a sailor blush. It, it's it's very interesting. I remember I had a teacher in high school, uh, one of my favorite teachers. Uh, she re- she would always do the prom dance. Like she would always volunteer and be one of the teachers there, but she would never look at the dance floor because she did once, like her first year of, of uh, teaching. It was like, she was so scarred by it. She would just, she would always face the other way. She would do like the entrance and that's it. Just because oh, she didn't want to see her. She didn't want to see her students in that light. Oh, I, I went to prom with my wife in St. Augustine. And, and I, you know, I went to prom with Black too, but oh my goodness, they, uh, yeah, that was 15 years or what 20 years ago. Yeah, it, it was. I, I haven't gone, I haven't volunteered to teach her because, like that lady, I don't want to see any of that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's fair, it, yeah, it was, it was intense. I, I, I tell my students that story. I'm like, I, I, you know, guys with their shirts off and nothing but pants on, and, and girls with their dresses up around their bellies with their g strings. I'm just like, yeah, that's not good. And everybody's in a crowd, so as unless the teacher wiggles their way up in there, they're not going to sure. see it. You know, and it's dark and, and all that stuff. But it was. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to let my kid go to prom. If you go to prom, don't tell her. You know, keep your shirt on, and hopefully she'll keep her dress down. Yeah, that'd be helpful. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Sorry it took so long to set up. No, no problem. But, you know, glad to do it. If you ever want to do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, because well, I mean, we, gosh, there's so much more we could have talked about, but I'm going to lose my battery here soon. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Jacob Tilton, 100% Dad, Episode 9, Interview with Dads. I appreciate it. Thank you. Be good. Bye.